question inevitably arises concerning practitioners of non-Christian religions. In a Christian republic based on biblical law, would non-Christian religions be banned, or would non-Christians have the same freedom of worship? Let's see what our panel of experts has to say. Yes, there would be other uh, religions. They would be there. I think the only time there would be civil penalties if they broke the laws of the land which were explicitly Christian. Uh, I'm presently involved in serving and in, in, uh, trying to help the nation of Zambia uh, reconstruct its social structures and uh, civil legislation along more of a biblical uh, nature because the, the president has, is a converted Christian. And um, what he's done is say, okay, if you want to be Muslim, that's cool, that's fine. All right, uh, we disagree, we don't believe it's a true faith, whatever. Uh, but it's not going to be taught in the schools. Only Christianity is going to be taught in the schools. Uh, here are the laws that are rooted in, you know, the Ten Commandments. They are going to be kept, you know, and if you can practice your religion and not cross these laws, there you go. And what I would envision is, is something along the lines of, of uh, that position. If God decides to pour out his wrath on a false religion, he's holy God, he can do that. But I think for a Christian state to do that uh, and be judging where a man was or a woman was in their journey toward God, and uh, I think execution would be more uh, toward uh, the uh, flagrant you know, breaking of, of the civil legislation. And, and I wouldn't foresee uh, uh, an outlawing if people in the privacy of their own home are going to worship some other god. Well, that's what they're going to do, and our prayer and our compassion and our mercy, hopefully, will be used by God to see them converted. Inevitably, cultures are an expression of the values of a people. The values are drawn out of traditions and, and rituals and habits and language. And all of those are, are inevitably tied to the things that matter most to the people. Inevitably, therefore, a culture is the legacy of faith. You can't get around that at all. And cultures that attempt to get around that are really just cultures in transition from one faith to another. So in the end, culture is a manifestation of faith. G.K. Chesterton has said, a culture is the accumulation of rituals, symbols, traditions, and habits. Those things which grow out of a people's perception of what matters most. In other words, a culture is a legacy of faith. Because culture, the, the word itself, is drawn out of the word cult, as T.S. Eliot points out so clearly, the, uh, the, the manifestations that, that we have in society, the way we relate to each other, the way we do business, the way we transact our, our regular rituals in community, are, are necessarily drawn from cult, or in other words, from faith. Religion is an inescapable concept. Everyone worships someone or something. And so when, when people start talking about um, humanistic values, when they start talking about uh, putting man at the center of all things, uh, letting man be in control, uh, essentially they, they have uh, turned the worship of, of, of God into a worship of, of self. 
as a result, they have uh, propounded this notion that, uh, that we're all gods. And ultimately, we're all sovereign in our sphere of influence. History demonstrates that, um, that when man thinks that he's in control, those are the times when uh, societies are the most out of control. Today, we have, um, we have more consistently applied the religion of humanism than at perhaps any other time in all of history. And look what it has wrought. What a societal mess we have made uh, of this business of putting man at the center of all things, man in control of all things. Humanism is an utter and complete failure, precisely because man's actions are so arbitrary and ultimately so cruel. Humanism is a failure because we have made a god out of a creature rather than the creator. In order to answer the question, you, we really need to get over first this idea that we have unbounded latitudinarian tolerance. No culture does. Every single culture has restrictions. For example, there are groups that want to offer child sacrifice. We don't permit that. There are groups that want to offer public sacrifices of animals today. Now, in the Old Testament, we had it, but Christian societies today forbid it, by and large. There are little exceptions around the globe. So, we don't have tolerance for every group, but we could have tolerance for those who had formal allegiance to the God of the Bible. Some might include Muslims in that because they say that the God they worship is the God therein revealed. Certainly, many more would be sympathetic to Jews worshiping with freedom of conscience, as you say. But the idea is not that we would go into um, every home and regulate the worship in the home or the thoughts of the people. There's an old story about Abraham that's told by the rabbis. And they say that uh, an Arab visitor came to him one day and he extended typical Eastern hospitality. He said, come into my tent, my friend. And they sat down at a meal and Abraham got about to witness to him to find out what his religious convictions were. And the Arab told him, oh, I'm an idolater, you know, and here are some of my idols. And Abraham became indignant, furious, and threw him out of the tent and chased him off into the desert. And God, the rabbi say, came to visit Abraham and asked him, Abraham, how old was that man? Abraham said, he was about 80. And how long was he with you, Abraham? Oh, about five minutes. And what did you do? I threw him out, Abraham answered. God said, I've been bearing with that man for 80 years, and you couldn't bear with him for five minutes. The lesson is that we need to be tolerant to understand that it's the Lord who gives faith, and we have to give wide berth to the working of the Spirit to bring that about. With a Christian consensus and with a strong Christian conviction, our tolerance can be considerable. It's when we're weak that we tend to overreact and have knee-jerk reactions to other faiths. But nevertheless, the laws would have to be Christian laws that govern the land. We certainly do not want uh, an Ayatollah fundamentalist regime. That's not what we're looking for at all. In fact, in a biblically oriented society, political power would be greatly decreased. So in these areas of capital crimes and other penal sanctions, over a long period of time, by means of godly, peaceful, democratic change, we would like for them to be enforced. But it's not uh, our goal to go out and, quote, impose our views on everybody else.
Now, if somebody says, well, that, then that's absolute religious freedom. Well, no, we don't believe that Satanists should be permitted to uh, sacrifice children. But that's true in this society. I mean, when people talk about intolerance, there's always a level of intolerance. In this country, we don't permit Mormons to have, uh, Mormon men to have more than one wife. The biblical view is that they can believe what they want to believe and privately practice it, but under the Old Testament law, the public worship of a false god is, is forbidden. In a biblical society, cults are people that do not hold to bare minimum orthodoxy, can hold their faith, they can teach their children their faith, but as far as public worship, uh, the Bible does seem to forbid any type of worship that is public worship that is contrary to true Christian worship. Now, if somebody's going to say, well, that sounds terribly intolerant, well, there's always going to be some level of intolerance somewhere. I mean, right now in this country, we don't have uh, manger scenes on civil government lawns. Well, we, of course, consider that intolerant. Well, the, the point is, every single civil government is going to adopt certain laws which are essentially religious in nature. That's the nature of man to be religious. So we certainly can't permit the public proselytizing of religions that are going to not only undermine our religious faith specifically, but also the state itself. But that has nothing to do with, we're not trying to um, in any way impose our views on someone's conscience. We do believe in, in liberty of conscience. People are free to believe what they want to believe and say what they want to say in the private sphere and train their children. But in certain limited cases, uh, there's no question that there will be some sort of intolerance. I mean, that's what the, that's what the na if we if we want to get rid of all intolerance, let's just get rid of the law. Every law is intolerant. Now, Calvin in Geneva, uh, there are points where I would disagree with him. You must remember that Calvin was born and reared a Catholic. The Catholic model, model was still in the minds of the reformers. They wanted to reform the Catholic Church. That was their goal. So they began with a belief that uh, the society had to be Christian. Now, Calvin in Geneva never commanded the city. He was an outsider brought in as a kind of efficiency expert to make a city that was a business community function. Prior to his com uh, coming, drinking, fornicating, and uh, gambling occupied too much of the people's time and efficiency was going downhill. They liked Calvin because he brought about efficiency. He made people sober, God-fearing, but they didn't like it for themselves. So the rulers of Geneva were happy about the results, unhappy that Calvin expected the same kind of behavior of them. And the libertines were really very close to controlling the city much of the time. They brought in Servetus, yes, they brought him in, and they were going to uh, challenge and try to oust Calvin. And during the time of the trial, Calvin actually had his bags packed, ready to leave. But the Catholic model was still in the background there. With Cromwell, it was different. Cromwell was faced with church as who wanted an established church. 
still the old Roman model. The Presbyterians, who were the most powerful group, were emphatically for an established church. That to them was salvation. The separatists disagreed with that, but the other groups basically wanted to command the establishment. Well, what Cromwell wanted was not a church establishment, but a Christian establishment. He wanted England committed to a Christian faith, not to a church. That's what he worked for. He had to fight the churches. It was the churches that defeated Calvinism and most of all the Presbyterians. It's a great blot in Presbyterian history that they were the ones who not only destroyed Calvin but brought in Charles II, a thoroughly degenerate man, and believed he would keep his word to them that uh, he would go along with their ideas of an establishment. Of course, he broke his word immediately. And 2,000 clergymen had to leave the Church of England, and the Presbyterians uh, in time virtually died out in England. People who reject the law of God cannot bear to be consistent with their own lawless world. In other words, they'll say, well, the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. That's not binding for today. But they don't want someone sleeping with their spouse. They don't want someone stealing their car. They don't want somebody usurping their parents' authority. So it's funny, they mock us, but in a world without the law of God, you have chaos, oppression, tyranny, everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. And they cannot bear consistency with that chaotic world. It terrifies them. If they were to be successful in eradicating the law of God and the mores of Christian civilization, what would they have? They would have the collapse of their whole world because, I mean, just go to a country that doesn't have the Ten Commandments as its foundation. Go to a chaotic Hindu nation. Go to some of the African nations. Go to a Muslim nation. Look at the oppression. Look at the tyranny. Look at the chaos. Do they want that? It's the law of God that gave Christian civilization the stability that they enjoy while they mock us. For the Planned Parent types and the people for the American way, these folks, when they say that all great world religions are basically the same, I, I want to laugh. Go to Haiti, where witchcraft is one of the dominant religions. Go to a voodoo hut, look at the little skulls of little children. Go to India and talk to some of the the women who used to be child prostitutes in Hindu temples. Or maybe go and see a, a widow tied to her husband's funeral pyre against her will and burned to death. I mean, this is the fruit of a non-Christian religion. Or go to the Mohammedan countries and look at the oppression of women there. I guess it's, this is what I would ask them. Where would you rather be a Buddhist? In Tibet or in America? Where would you rather be a Hindu? Downtown Madras or America? Where would you rather be a, a woman Muslim, in Tehran or in America? The umbrage of Christian freedom, because of the Founders' love for the law of God, gives more liberty and freedom and rights and protections to Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims than countries based upon their own religion. For those who would say, you know, go to Holland. Look at Holland. They've got euthanasia, they give out drugs, they've got homosexual rights. I would say, Go to Holland. Go to Amsterdam. Look at that country. 
Look at the venereal disease. Look at the suicide rate amongst kids. Look at the lives destroyed by drugs. Look at the women's lives that are ruined on these street after street of, of legalized prostitution. That's a country that is debauched and is dying. If people want to have America become like Holland, my advice to them would be, go to Holland. Well, every, everybody has a principle that they align themselves to. I don't care what it is. The atheist, you know, the atheist says, oh, I'm against theocracy. And I said, you're a theocrat. Uh, but you're a theocrat where you elevate man to the ultimate position, man and chance. And then when you have man and chance as, 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 the, as the ultimate reference point, you need power in order to keep man and chance in check. So ultimately, you look to the state as a way of ensuring that your God reigns in a society. So even the atheist is a theocrat. He, he, his basic religious principle is man is the essence of society and chance rules. And in order for chance to be governed well, you've got to have a powerful government in order to do that. And so uh, it's no surprise to me when you see people of a secular bent continually going to government as a way of solving problems. Because the secularist, and the, the word secular means of this age, which, which tells you all the secularist has is this age. All he has is history. And therefore he puts all of his eggs in the basket of history, has no transcendental reality. There's nothing up above him that gives him a law and tells him what to do. There's no limitations to his power. And, um, and we have seen in, in time and in history, especially in this culture, what atheism has done to societies. Uh, uh, you know, China, officially atheistic, slaughtered, people slaughtered. Stalin, atheistic, people slaughtered. Uh, uh, Hitler, uh, trappings of Christianity, but behind the scenes, you know, disavowed anything related to Christianity and saw man as the standard. His version of man, people slaughtered. Now we're beginning to see that in, in our culture today, where man is the ultimate reality, and you've got people aborting their futures. Uh, I think if Christians started describing the implications of what it means to believe those kinds of things, uh, you would see, I, I think you would begin to see people who are kind of on the, the, the marginal outskirts of culture and, and, and these particular issues uh, begin to come in with us. So everybody's going to come back to an ultimate principle. I don't care who it is or what it is. Everybody has a God. And uh, what, the, of course, the Bible does, it outlines for us a decentralized system uh, that protects both the individual and the group. And no other worldview has that. Any person in a biblically ordered society, Jew, Muslim, Catholic, or Protestant, would be free under the civil law to worship. The civil government would have no power to restrict religion. Jesus gave the task of punishing the evildoer to the state, but acts of mercy and preaching the gospel to the lost belong to the church. The civil government does have an obligation to see that all people obey the moral law only as it falls into its civil jurisdiction. The state must not regulate matters of individual conscience in any way. Non-Christians may peaceably coexist in society as long as they don't publicly blaspheme God nor disobey other civil laws in accomplishing the goals of their religion. The state may assist the church to some extent by protecting our freedom to preach the gospel, but ultimately the job of converting non-believers lies with the church and not the civil government.